we're going to have a shorter service tonight. That is, if I don't teach over two or three hours. But uh, I thought we should turn in our Bibles and read in uh, the book of Jeremiah, the sixth chapter, verse number 16, and also in the book of Proverbs. Uh, tonight I would like to, if it's possible, to uh, bring us around um, to uh, what we can do or what the Lord would like to have us do in this present world. We have a, many times we have a struggle. We shouldn't have, but we have a struggle in our own mind or our own flesh, understanding God's program and His plan and uh, many things the church asks us to do or the pastor asks us, asks us to do or the Bible asks us to do, whichever it is. Um, we uh, take it as a sort of a blessing, as a personal affront. And um, I'd just like to have us take a look a little bit at the foundations here of the church and a little of the history. We're here today just the day before the celebration of the um, Declaration of Independence, our nation becoming a free nation. And uh, July 4th celebrates that uh, date when we left England and became a nation on our own feet. And um, we were founded on a good foundation. There's no doubt about that. We had Bible-believing people basically here in the United States and were founded on a good foundation. But um, there's a lot of things that have happened since that date, 1776. There's been a number of things that have happened that didn't bring us down to where we are today. And I might say this along the lines of holiness standards and so forth, um, that if you look back and... Uh, you maybe have heard me talk about Brother Andrew Urshan in the early days of Pentecost and the services he preached around the country. They were not, uh, didn't have to worry about the people that came to their tent meetings and so forth. These people who came in through other movements had already come to a dress standard. They'd taken off their jewelry. They didn't wear makeup. And I said they didn't smoke and those sort of things. And there wasn't the corruption of the, um, the even the nominal church that we see today. And so um, it was a little different world back there than what we have today. But uh, those people didn't uh, do the things they did because of somebody putting road on them, or, but they did it because when the Holy Ghost touched them, they wanted to do draw nigh to God, and they wanted to appear as the Lord would have them appear. And uh, when it comes to dress standards, um, there's the situation is this, that we can't each one choose what we want to do we'll never get anywhere that way because there's too many opinions. Somebody has to set the rule. If you don't, one person will have no sleeves at all. One person's liable to have them down to their knuckles and so forth and uh, go to an extreme where you couldn't maybe even eat. I don't know. But somewhere there has to be a setting of standards. And when you look in the Bible, the Bible tells us very plainly back in the Old Testament when there was a rule to be set, the priests were went to and they settled that question for everybody. And uh, if you go to a foreign land today, we read a lot about the Muslims, or the Muslims they call them in the lands of the East, you'll find that they follow a very strict code. Why is that? Because that was a part of the very beginning of that movement. It was an offshoot, basically, in fact, from the following of Abraham. And it goes back a long ways. And they added some things to it. And they follow it closely. People live religiously by it, but it's by rote. And so uh, the thing that we don't want is rote. We want to do the things we do because we love God and we want to please Him and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. So uh, let's look tonight, first of all, in Jeremiah chapter 6. 
and verse number 16. We'll read verse 16 through 21. Let's stand together as we read this portion of Scripture. It's Jeremiah 6, and I'm starting to read in verse 16. Thus saith the Lord, The Lord, stand ye in the ways, and see and ask for the old paths, where is the good way, and walk therein. Ye shall find rest for your souls. But they said, We will not walk therein. Now he said, If you'll look to these ways, you're going to find rest for your souls. But they said, We're not going to walk therein. Now we're talking about people that were children of God. And then it said, and the Lord was talking here, said, Also I set a watchman over you, saying, Hearken to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, We will not hearken. Therefore hear ye nations, and know, O congregation, what is among them. Hear, O earth, behold, I will bring evil upon this people, even the fruit of their thoughts, because they have not hearkened unto my words, nor to my law, but rejected it. Now this is talking about, just like it would be the church today, the Lord speaking here, and we'll come back and look at this. And then go on from here. Let's bow our heads as we pray. God, we thank you tonight for everyone that's gathered here in this service tonight. God, we pray, dear God, that you'd touch our heart, our life, our soul. My God, let the anointing of the Holy Ghost, God, rest here tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. God, we thank you. God, we praise you. Lord, we adore you. My God, you're a marvelous and a wonderful Savior. Lord, our God, our Redeemer, our Savior and friend. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Mighty God, our Redeemer, Savior, and friend. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Mighty God, our Redeemer, Savior, and friend. Hallelujah. Praise God. You may be seated. Notice verse 16. The Lord said, Stand ye in the ways, and see and ask for the old path, wherein is the good way, and walk therein. Ye shall find rest for your souls. Now, you notice whenever, if you'd have been standing there on that day, Looking over that congregation, there was a lot of things that they needed to do. And they were in trouble at the time Jeremiah was talking to them. God had promised that they would have prosperity and peace. And instead, they were having war and they were about to be overcome. They were, in fact, they were about to be taken out of the land. In fact, the Lord was just about to pronounce a pronouncement upon them. You have sinned until there's no remedy. In other words, I'm quit working amongst you. I'm just tired. I've sent prophets. I've sent teachers. I've sent preachers. And you won't listen. They've blown the trumpet. You know they're from God. You can tell by what they say, but you've just got your head made up and your mind made up. You're not going to do what they say. But he said, you need to walk in the old path. And notice about it now that you'll find rest for your soul. You'll have peace. You'll be able to rest at night. But they said, we're not going to walk that way. And um, in the book of Proverbs, it also states this particular statement here. Proverbs 22, 28. Remove not the ancient landmarks which thy fathers have set. They were set with a purpose. Um, I don't know how, how strongly we, could, we should state it, but the fact of the matter is that our forefathers who started the church that we're in drove some stakes in the ground that ought to stand forever. It ought to be no problem with them at all. It ought not be any problem with us. Just like with Israel, the things that Moses set down, Joshua set down, should have been no problem at all. But the trouble was that the uh, several things, one of them was that a mixed multitude was mixed in with Israel. They never got rid of the mixed multitude. So in the congregation, there was these mixed multitude that claimed they were part of it and really weren't. Remember that now. Because the mixed multitude has a lot to do with that. Somebody professes to have the Holy Ghost and does not have the Holy Ghost today would be a mixed multitude. There they profess to be children of, of Abraham, but they were only of Abraham's seed. There's a difference between 
you know, Jesus made a difference on that. They said to him, Jesus, we're, we be of the seed of Abraham. He said, if you were the children of Abraham, you would do what your fathers have done. But you are just got a name. You call yourself today, you say you call yourself a Christian, but you're not a child. And there's a tendency then to follow after the seed instead of after the children. Because the seed kind of goes wild. Uh, they don't, they're not true children. And uh, can you imagine those Sadducees and Pharisees opening up their mouth to Jesus and they finally said, we don't even need you, but we don't need you. We are the seed of Abraham, but they weren't the children. And Jesus made that very clear. You know, you're not, you just, uh, you're, you're not what you ought to be. And so the ancient landmarks uh, need to stand and uh, this church that we're in today is strong and is here because, at least in all the time I can remember, the people that were really apostolics back in the beginning of the very movement were people who walked and talked and lived right. And as they were conscious of the dress that they wore. They were conscious of the, their appearance. They were conscious of all these things. I know there were, there were those that were not, but basically the people that brought us through were very conscious of that. And they held on to those things. They treasured them because they knew that, you know, we have an altar that the world does not have. The book of Hebrews says we have an altar. And when troubles and trials and struggles come, we've got a place to go to and kneel down and, and say, Lord, you know, I've got a need. And that makes the difference between us and everybody else in this world. We have an altar to go and kneel down and to talk to a God who, if we pleased him, is going to answer us. And uh, it tells us here again, remember, in Jeremiah, that if we walk in those paths that he wants us to walk in, that uh, we'll find rest for our souls. In other words, we'll have problems will be taken care of. We'll have a problem solver in Jesus Christ. And so when we look at the nation that we're in, you see there's a lot of factors that affect us in the church today. It's not just the church, but this nation itself affects us because this nation was established as a godly nation. Our forefathers were godly people. They taught godliness in the school. They believed in God of living. They abhorred idolatry. Uh, and they, some of the pagan practices that we've taken in to be Christian, they were abolished. The, uh, in fact, the pilgrims wouldn't have anything to do with the word Christmas or anything to do with Christmas in any way, shape, or form because it was idolatrous, and it is. It's basically a time of idolatry, uh, the practices that are there and so on. So they... Um, they had that they brought with them to this nation something to build upon. And uh, this nation was a righteous nation. Uh, really, it's been a citadel of Christianity. We have been the fountainhead to reach this present world. Our uh, evangelistic at home and in the foreign field is but what, as what has been a great uh, stabilizing force in this world. The missionaries that go, go around the world and are there today are mostly from the United States. With not only our own organization, but many. And anything that's done in a Christian realm is going to be of some help. We're talking about the world situation. And uh, there's been times now, through even the history of the United States, where it seemed though that blackness was going to come down and engulf the church and put out the fires of evangelism. There's been false doctrines that have come. Several times there's been false doctrine that's come in there's been false doctrines that have come in since i've been in the church at least two times and almost swept the church off of their feet and people were reading things in the scripture that were not there 
and basing their experience. And I've told you about some of those things like coming up with oil on their hands, not one or two, but lines of them, you know, and, and all kinds of things that were irrelevant to the Word of God. And uh, things that had no point or fireballs going around the room and doves and uh, hundreds of people supposedly seeing that and so on. Well, those things weren't associated with the word. And the main thing that they told you at that time was, you know, you've got to be able to have love and lay down the doctrines for fellowship. And there was no law but love and no creed but Christ. And uh, as long as you believed in Jesus Christ, you could come together. But that didn't work out and it plunged the 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 church into a place of darkness because there crept into the church all kinds of people who were not really saved. We have the message of salvation. Repentance, water baptism in Jesus' name and then filling of the Holy Ghost is the message of salvation for God's church. It's built on that basis and that's the only basis that it's built on. We can, If you get to drifting and feel like, well, this man over here talks pretty nice, he's all right, Martin Luther's all right. Martin Luther's gone. God will take care of Martin Luther. God will take care of that man down the street that seems all right. But the word of God tells us what we must stand on. And uh, we have to stay on what God says. Remember, there's some landmarks that are set down by the apostles that are here that we have to stand by. And uh, they are foundation stones. But when the church went off in those areas, they lost their standards. And when they lost their standards, they lost the Lord Jesus Christ. Most of those meetings started out with the spirit of the... This is the thing that's tricky. The Holy Ghost was there. The Holy Ghost with those people healed. They were healed. And there were miracles that took place because in the name of Jesus that happens. But when it started drifting into teachings of false doctrine, then there was the leaving of the cornerstones. The pillars were gone. And anybody that stayed there ended up shipwrecked and was lost. And so from time to time that has happened. Darkness has come. And then it seems like when the evil practices of the heathenism are really taken over and about to run the country in the darkest hours, there's some group of people somewhere who have got down on their knees and began to pray in earnestness and call on God. And he's heard the cry of prayer. And I, the reason I'm saying this, don't believe some things that you hear about God just will just sit around here and wait long enough and God by some supernatural means is going to move in and save people. He's always waited for a man, men and women to get on their knees and all every great religious awakening can be traced to a prayer group somewhere or more than one that was praying and seeking God and God began to hear them and out of their evangelism struck the world. You can read about at least three of those in the United States. There's good books you can read if you want to look it up. And you'll find that's exactly what happened. And of course, the one we look to is uh, Topeka, Houston, Los Angeles, the three together, and India, and probably the Welch Revival, all of them about the same time in the 1900s that brought us to, to a place where we are today, that really brought out this uh, Pentecostal movement that we're in. And so these great awakenings changed the course not only of the church but it changed the course of this nation and it really changed the nation there were changes made that were unbelievable changes amongst the people it uh, turned the nation around and made a different nation out of it a place where we said we got bible belts and uh, i don't know where our bible belts are now i know where they're supposed to be but they've 
they're not too much belted. But, um, and so this has happened. But uh, I think we're aware that you can date this age by a little thing that I will say uh, BTV and ATV. Yeah. 35 years ago, before television and after television. The devil brought his ace card in when he brought television on, this, on the scene. Before television, you had one world. I lived in that world till I was around 20 or 30. It was a, and I can tell you it was a completely different world, like daylight and dark. Totally different. Completely different world than we live in today. In the schools, in the homes, in our own neighborhood, we had a neighbor that ended up in a divorce. People don't even talk, didn't even talk to people when they got in a divorce. Here in Oregon, they were just not in social order. They were ostracized. It was just, it was just no, no such thing took place. And uh, there's been a lot of change since then. And uh, since that time, there has been a, a continual influence on the church to where the church has, instead of affecting the course of the nation, the sins of the people of this nation have brought pollution into the church. And there's been a great, great change here on the face of the earth. And I'm not necessarily now to want to say about the church altogether, just saying, talking about the United Pentecostals. I'm just talking about the church as a whole. That the whole of Christianity has affected, what it's done to affect this particular nation. And so the, what happened, of course, and most all the time, again, is the acceptance of people who have, are unrepentant, who have made up their mind, I'm going to go my own way, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm sorry to say this, although the United Pentecostal Church, not long after they saw what was happening on television, passed a rule that there would be no television in any minister's home, and they said they don't want it in saints' home. They laid down the lines of holiness, and, and uh, I would say that today maybe 40-50% of the people have that. Not in necessarily our part of the country, but other parts of the country that where there's a great numbers, they've, done, they've gone against that. What it's done, they're unrepentant people. They, are, they, they, are, they go against the leadership. They're saying that uh, these men back in the, that particular time, they didn't know what they were talking about. Such men as Brother Chambers and the Brother Urshan and Brother Kilgore and uh, these men are saying, you men, you can blow the trumpet if you want to, but we're not going to do it. Isn't that right? We're not going to do it. I don't care what you say, we're not going to do it. Now, you heard what God said to Israel. He said, you become an unrighteous people and I'm going to destroy you. And I'm trying to bring this down to a point today. This church stands in very in desperate trouble. The church stands in desperate trouble today. We have young people here that haven't even got up to hit the stage to retake over. You're in desperate trouble. If we keep having the rebellious attitude that takes place, the Lord's going to, I don't care if the Lord says that's it, remember, that's going to be it. And you say, I'll be saved anyway. No, I'm sorry, you won't. You say, well, God won't cut me out. Well, according to scripture here, we'll read it in a little bit. He, he will. There has to be a, uh, we, we can't have a, have a soul called church. And we can't have people going their own direction and doing their own thing. It's been my good fortune to know most of those men on a personal basis, many of them that were at 
Brother Gray and Brother um, Haney and men that stood on the floor in the conference on that television question and spoke and the general superintendent at that time and some of those, many of those men in one way or another. And uh, I, I ha I, whether I was in the church or not, I'd have to say of those men, they were righteous men. They had no, no bone to hone or anything to gain by. In fact, most of them had a lot to lose because before that statement was made, I might, if you may not know about it, but television was in homes. Nobody hadn't said anything and people were, ministers had them, people had them in their home. Uh, they didn't, there was nothing going on, just free interviews and of course they started showing old movies, but they were way back there, you know, and so on. And uh, what things they had, uh, the beginning of I Love Lucy, and they were just funny. You know, there wasn't the blue stuff and so forth that's come on later on the thing, on the sets. But when that was said, and when that was put out, Brother Morgan was the general superintendent, and Brother Morgan was a great man of God. Brother Morgan was a strong man of God. He loved God with all of his heart. Brother Gray loves God with all his heart. I'd stand and give a testimonial for him. Anytime, any place. Brother Haney was that kind of man. When that came out, they lost people. Brother Haney came to his church and wrote a bylaw in and said, anybody in this church who has a television is not going to be a member of this church any longer. And some good people walked out the door and said, we're saying goodbye for movie sets we can look at. And walked out the door. And other ministers were afraid. I hate to say that. And they didn't say anything and just let the people go on. They said, we know they can turn the dial and... They can check the dial. Now, you may wonder about this. Why? None at all. I'll tell you why. Because I have one way of setting the dial. You'll have another way of setting the dial. You'll have another way of setting the dial. She'll have another way of setting the dial. And who's to tell where the line's drawn? And the Bible says that we are to have a line drawn that, that changes the holy from the unholy, the clean from the unclean. And there has to be someone that sets a line down. And so what the scripture says is, don't bring an abomination into your house. Well, they say, well, like television, that's an inanimate object. It's just a piece of machinery. Uh, it's nothing evil about it, but it's evil. It is evil. You can bring a gun into your house and say, well, I'm going to tame that gun down, but guns only got one reason for being there, and that's to kill. And the television's only got one thing there that it's going to do, and that's going to be destroyed. And so... Um, now, you're, when you look at me, you're looking at somebody that was at the dividing line. And, and uh, I haven't had a television from back to that time to now. And, you know, I just don't, I'm just not really very hurt. I just haven't felt like I've been neglected. And uh, I, I really don't feel anything at all that's really uh, affected my mentality. I can't pronounce all those names that some people can pronounce, but I don't know why I need to pronounce them anyway. But I, uh, I haven't missed anything. I haven't missed one thing worthwhile. Not one thing worthwhile. The, the world was better back before than now. I was back there. Isn't that right, wife? It was better before. It was a better world. It was better living. You didn't have to put up with swearing around. My wife didn't have to put up with swearing going into a cafe. And young people cursing and carrying on. And all the things that are going on. We didn't have to worry about them stealing our, even in California, stealing our garden hose and cutting it off or stealing our car or anything. It was a different world. Somebody putting a gun in your back. I never even thought about that. Different world. And so we turn to a, another world altogether. And so when these things are said and put in, 
What are they for? They're for our benefit, and they're also the, the fact that we'll be pleasing before God. And uh, when somebody says, well, who's to uh, tell? What right does a preacher to have that, to do that? Well, when preachers get together and they meet and they decide something is going to destroy in this present world, then that's set down. I believe whatever is bound on earth is bound in heaven. Some people say, well, if I can find it in the Bible, you know, then I'm, I'm going to follow it. And uh, so they don't find cigarettes, they don't find beer, they don't find gin, they don't find hardly anything in there, heroin or anything. You can just about do anything you want. But there has to be a council sets down and takes a look at things. And uh, we need to put our faith in the ministers of the gospel and in our leaders that are here. I, we have to put, uh, myself and the ones that are ministers here, we put our hands in the, ourselves in the hands of a board that's here. If uh, that board tells me something I'm supposed to do or passes something to do, then it's my responsibility to do it. Whether I like it or I don't like it, it's for my benefit. It has nothing to do about that. They're thinking about the benefit of the church as a whole and about my benefit when they do that. And as long as I'm here, then it's my duty to follow that. And when I do, then I'll be blessed. Now that's the part about what we do, we will be blessed. And so uh, the, we went back there to talk about how those things came in. And it turned out, now I, can, I told you I was back there, we'll go back to television a little bit. It turned out the United Pentecostal Church was right. As far as I know, we were the only Pentecostal holiness church that said, we're not going to have it. And almost immediately, if you'd have been back in that time, the Assembly of God churches in the area, they dressed holiness, they had Holy Ghost services, they had things, healings, they had all kinds of things. They had big crowds on Sunday night and so forth. And that immediately began to change. And the crowds began to disappear and the people began to change until you can't recognize and one of them now is having anything to do with Pentecost. The ones in our own neighborhood down here, you can't recognize them. You can't pick them out on the street. There are some people in movement you can, but they're not some. But I know one thing, the Lord wants you to be able to be picked out on the job, on the street, or anywhere. He does want you, he does want the world to know that you're his. Everybody here, everybody, your children, he wants the Lord. He wants to, the world to know there's one of mine. He wants you to be that much different that he can tell. And it's, we ought to be proud of that. I mean, we ought not be proud, proud in ourselves, but we ought to be proud of the fact that I am standing for the Lord my God and there will be opposition. The Bible says he that liveth godly is going to have times when he's going to have opposition and ridicule. In fact, the more you do that's right for God, sometimes the less praise you'll get. Beware when all men speak well of you. I don't worry too much when something flashes back and I hear somebody talking about I hear a lot of that. And I, I always want to check and see if I'm doing what the Bible says. But on the other hand, that's the way it says it'll be. We put these papers out in our books. Sometimes we get a lot of flack. That it don't necessarily come directly to us. But when I go somewhere, people tell me about what's been said. We get a lot, a lot of that. But the truth is the truth. And if we just back off and we don't say anything, then we'll, not only will the nation go down, but we will go down too. And so we've come now to a place that, that the church got weak somewhere down the line, 50s, 60s, somewhere, to where uh, the Satan's forces have overcome. I'm telling you, we've had a weak and effective church. The problem of no prayer in the schools and no Bible in the schools is a, is a church problem. 
it's not a government problem. It's a problem with a prayerless church, with a powerless church, with a church that says we got the goods but doesn't have the goods to show forth. And uh, a lot of it has centered around um, two things, again, unrepentance or the mixed multitude in the church and then the failure to take up and fight the battles that our forefathers fought. Most of us know that when this Revolutionary War was fought, and those men fought in battle, it was an unbelievable army that went out without shoes and weapons and in the winter and in the ice and the snow and all the things that happened without food and, and still won the battles and won the war. And the same thing to start the church. The men that first started went with holes in their shoes and all kinds of things. And then as time goes along, uh, that pioneer spirit leaves. And so you that are here, that are young people in the church especially, the, uh, the pioneer work seems to have been done. But, hey, we're right back in heathenism. We need a pioneer to work to come out again, all over again. People to stand up and be heard and, you know, to take a stand for righteousness. We've come to that place. I saw that happen with our youth somewhere in the 50s. In fact, uh, about the time Brother Von Morton, some know him, got into the ministry and so forth, and Brother uh, uh, Tool's hometown, they had a youth convention down there. And there was a rally took place where they really, they just said, we're planting the flag of holiness. And I hadn't heard that in a long time. And they began to preach about some things that needed to be preached about the standards of dress. It wasn't just girls, boys too. But at that time they were shrinking their clothes on and they couldn't even walk and that sort of thing. And they began to draw some lines and said, you're going to have, when you come to church, you're going to have to leave that outside and come in. And leave that at the door. But there's been no policing at the door sometimes, and that's come in. And then when we look around and see it, we say, well, that's, that seems like it's all right. They're doing it, and they're doing it, and they're doing it. But that's not the way it works. We ought to have God talk to our heart enough to realize, I am not going to be like this world. I'm going to be what God wants me to be. We've come to the place now where we all know they think nothing of murdering unborn babies right along and, and the, all that, that that takes place. And the forces of Satan have come against the church and overrun it in a lot of ways. And the church goes on, uh, Pentecostal church so-called, with the, with the idea of love more than the chastising hand of God for sin, and they're overlooking a lot of things that can't be overlooked. And uh, trying to present an evil and elude people to God as being his people when that's not so. And so this has... What it also has done is shattered homes in the church. Talk about the church so-called. The church so-called is plagued. The nominal church world, and even some in Pentecost, with divorces and remarriages just... In fact, one person was saying that they... Um, and I think the United Pentecostal Church may have stopped the... Uh, most of them have stopped the idea of having singles meetings because when they didn't like uh, their... Uh, Husbands, a lot of them would go ahead and get divorces and go into those single meetings and meeting somebody else. And that was the first place they found where there's some Christians there they could marry. And the nominal world's been having that. I read that at one of their books here the other day. They've had those meetings and had hundreds of those people come and, and they're gotten, getting rid of one and coming there and getting another one. We'll never seminar. In fact, I'm just telling you what. Seminars are not the answer to our problems. They're not the answer to your problem or my problem. It's not a seminar. Don't think somebody can educate you into this thing. It's not that. It's a giving of ourselves to the Word of God and 
to being obedient to the leadership and the word of God is what's going to do that. And uh, some of these things they've had at seminars have wrecked havoc. I know one person in the Pentecostal church that the area that was a, was a seminar that started the main trouble that uh, has brought them out beneath the movement today. And so we can't, uh, we can't go on that. And so everywhere we look, there's a sign of immorality. And uh, I think we already know, as far as the nation is concerned, it's about as immoral as any nation can be. And uh, we used to be, wherever you went in the world, the United States was held how an American citizen uh, was thought highly of. And today, we are not, as we already saw with the terrorists and the general feeling around the world. It's not for us, it's against us. And if you don't think that's the case, just do a little traveling and you'll find out some places it's very, very rude. I mean, they just don't treat you well at all. And uh, the, all the education we've had and all those things hasn't done the trick. The Bible says that righteousness exalteth the nation and sin is a reproach to any people. And our nation is under reproach because of sin, gross sins, terrible sins. We are a Sodom and Gomorrah. We are the ones that are spreading this disease. And I, I want to say this about the AIDS disease that's going around now. The uh, doctors here the other day were saying, well, that's a disease that anybody is, uh, it's going to be coming in on anybody and everybody. Well, that's a possibility. But they always want to say, you know, it's, it's not just homosexuals, but it's the hemophiliacs and it's the people from another nation and it's the people that take any intravenous drugs. And if you relate it all together, it's homosexuals. It's caused from illicit sex of the most horrible kind. And it's a plague from God. And there's thousands of them, thousands of them dying. In fact, over half that have got it have died. So there's been over 7,000 or something, I believe, the last count. And it's, they said now there could be as many as 2 million hidden. It's coming out. And so, and you know what they said caused it? Changing sex partners. And they said, you need to just have one. But before they were saying, that's, man's like animals. He's not, that's not the way it's supposed to be. But God said one for life. One for life. Everybody hear that? One for life. One for life. One for your life. And uh, when that doesn't happen, those things happen. And there's another disease that's going around that uh, is then another one that they cannot do anything about. It's uh, what I want to say. Can't, when you can't, when you can't heal it anyway, when the doctors can't help you. Well, it isn't fatal in the sense, but it can't even think of it. Yeah, but I mean, what do you call it when they say it's, it's incurable? Okay, that's the word I want, incurable. Herpes is a disease and it's incurable. And it's another curse. God trying to step in and say, hey, that's not right. Don't do that. But they're saying, we, we hear the trumpet, but we're going to do it anyhow. We hear the trumpet, we're going to do it anyhow. And uh, I'll go someplace where I don't hear the trumpet. Is that going to help? No, it's not. I wish somebody hadn't told me about that. Don't help it. It's not going to help at all. And so we have a, those sort of things happen. And uh, what we really need 
is a return to the old-time religion of the day of Pentecost. We need that kind of a religion. Inside of this, and again, maybe some of you young people don't know, but about 15 years ago, they started coming in our churches, and they said, we don't need an altar. Our own people said, we don't need an altar. You folks that are here, the altars, the, day of the Holy Ghost fell on the day of Pentecost, and they tarried there, and you don't need to tarry anymore. They tarried God, now the Holy Ghost is available. That was a Baptist doctrine, but I have heard men, many men, seminar men, in our own movement, many places come in, not in the church I was in, because our pastor didn't let those kind of people in, but I've heard them all kinds of other places, and they have to say, just stand up and come down. You can repent as you come down the aisle. When you get there, you receive the Holy Ghost, and we don't need an altar. If you have something to pray about, then afterwards you can pray. And um, that was strong. I'm not talking about something. It was all over the country. But you know what? We need an altar. We have an altar that this world does not have. And it seems strange that we don't need an altar, that the first thing in the Bible started with an altar, and all the way through to the day of Pentecost, there was one altar after another altar, and there was an altar that stood out in front of the tabernacle, and out in front of the temple, and that altar is not to be removed, and it's an altar of repentance. And all of us need that altar. You need that altar, and I need that altar, the altar of repentance. We must have an altar to go to, and we must come and repent and say, God, forgive me and deliver me and make me what I ought to be. We must have an altar. And I'll tell you what an altar did for me is when I came to confess my sins and repented, I got a tremendous experience, and the uh, rock of the weight of sin lifted, and my sins went away. I didn't go back to any of the things that I'd done before immediately. It just happened. It was a tremendous experience. But I come back to get the Holy Ghost, and I come back to get the Holy Ghost, and I have to search myself, and there'll be something else to do, and something else to do. And I went for some time. And all my coming back, uh, I'm not saying everybody has to tarry in that sense of the word at all, but if a person does come and tarry, and it takes them a long time to get the Holy Ghost, there's no problem with God. If, if, you rep if somebody repents early, they're not going to run off. They're not going to leave the church. But you let somebody come down without an altar and throw their hands up and talk in tongues a little bit, and there's a good chance you won't see them at the next service. I've had them in our services by the droves. Repentance delivers us from sin and gives us a spirit that can be handled. When we get the Holy Ghost, our spirit should be such that you can be handled. Somebody can tell you what to do, and you will do it nicely. You won't. You'll see that's the thing to do. And so that... Uh, idea of no altar is still in effect today all over. Yes. It's a, a good point. I hope we all see that no matter what, you're going to hear, you see what's happened, somebody hears that, well, okay, that's the way I'm going to go. And then they hear, that's the way I'm going to go. Well, that's a good way. Well, and ministers do that. If you like, uh, we hear it preached all the time now. You don't have to feel anything. Just come down, raise your hand. Come on down and raise up your hands when you don't feel anything when you're a sinner and see what happens. You still won't feel anything. You've got to feel God now. God. We've, had them, we've had them in this church do that. I've had them kneel in the aisles. I've had them come down looking all over their hands in the air, looking around. Remember some of those? Come in. Oh, yeah. Is that what you're doing? That would be. And they're sincere. I'm not, there are sincere people that come down. 
Listen, you know, God's going to have to touch your heart and call you. Some of you keep waiting around. Maybe God's talked to your heart and you say, well, a little later on I'm going to do it. You better do it when God moves on you. Don't fool yourself. There's a lot of young people who go out in the world and say, I'm going to come in someday. We were talking about that a while back and you can just name them off on your fingers. I can name off people that were, were pastors, uh, sons and daughters and so forth that are lost, dead, gone. There's no hope of them coming back. And they aren't going to blame their dad or their mother or their family or somebody. You've got your own life. And somewhere God moves on us. You know, and uh, no matter what's behind any of our programs, we are responsible ourselves. I can't blame my mother or my dad or anybody else for the fact when the Lord moves on me. And uh, what we, what's happened in Pentecost, we have not really been appreciative of that. Some of you that are in the school may, may not have heard this. Maybe you have. But we've had evangelists that have been, come here and evangelists have gone to other churches. They don't want to preach in the ACE chapels. There's been a number of them that said that. In fact, there's been three people that I know besides ourselves that have stopped their chapels. If we aren't appreciative of it, it's a shame. I think it's really a bad thing to throw out something to somebody that's not appreciative and put them on a position of losing their eternal soul. Uh, we have to understand that, you know, it's, uh, things are not for our destruction, they're for our edification, to bless us, make us a blessing, and to help us to make heaven our home. And um, I'm sure that if you've had troubles like that, I'm sure that all of us have. And not doing what we ought to do, but we ought to see it. We ought to see it clearly. I hope we could see what's really happening. Now, the world today has uh, come to a place, you know, where uh, there's almost no turnaround. And, um, there's a bombardment of liberalism all around. They're asking and demanding more and more and more. We want more religious movies. We want better movies. We want this and we want to do, do that. And we want to go over here and they're... Uh, renting this kind of a thing to go to and that sort of a thing to go to, but you can go to all of them and it won't help you one ounce. It won't deepen you. It'll make you less spiritual all the time. So pretty soon all we want to do is live towards the flesh. And the, here's the thing the Bible says, crucify the flesh with the lust thereof and let the inner man grow and you'll have peace, joy, you'll have an exciting life. You'll have an exciting life. It's an exciting life living for the Lord. There's nothing like that at all. And so there's been pressure all over to reevaluate our basic foundational truths in the church. The things that have made us strong. And there are people that are changing the whole setup. Foundation stones that we have. When you get the manual, I don't have a manual here with me yet, but if you get the manual, read the holiness standards, you're going to be surprised to find out when you read those, people that you know, there's many churches that don't even keep, but they just keep the ones they want. It's like picking out jelly beans. I like the red ones. I'm leaving the blacks and the grays and the blues. I like the green ones. Do you think that's what God wants us to do? Or do you think the men that laid those things down and put them in there were foolish? No, they were setting some standards. They were putting down the old ancient landmarks that we could go by them. They're not, they weren't foolish. They brought many a young person, an old person alike, to where we are to make heaven our home. And uh, there's been no change in God's blessings if we do them. The trouble is, the more we live to the flesh, the less the Spirit blesses us. And uh, 
when that blessings don't take place, then we, get, we want to go more and more to the flesh, and the first thing you know, you're lost and in the world. And you have to tell, stop your flesh and say, flesh, I'm going to do God's way. I'm going to buy God's way. I'm going to live God's way. I'm going to walk God's way. I'm going to give God's way. I'm going to do what he wants me to do. And uh, if we'll do that, uh, we'll turn the world around. Otherwise, the world's turning the church around. And so many times, uh, compromise has come in and caused the church to go down. And if uh, then we sit idly and we don't contend for the faith and we don't stand for the faith, then the foundations will surely be destroyed. And the Bible makes it plain. What about it if the foundations are destroyed? What's going to happen to good people? What can the righteous do? See, you could be a real good person, really living for God, but if the foundations destroyed, what are you going to do? There's one person here in the church who's got a letter from their grandmother and she's an older person in the church and she's got a new pastor I don't know how long he's been there and she said you know he doesn't he just doesn't teach any of those things he basically you know he doesn't we don't hear any of those things what can she do I talked to a man that was just, that's a assembly of God he lives over here in about the third house on this side I think it's third or fourth house goes to the church down there he was in the assembly of God back when they had standards and uh, when, the, when St. Helens, when that mountain blew up the second time, we were standing out here in the lot, and he came over, and I got to talking to him. And so in the conversation, I said, well, how is it that you can stay with that church? You won't come over here. You know what this church is like. You, you will stay at that church when you know they don't have those standards. Well, I said, did, when, they, when they changed, didn't you, uh, didn't you do anything about it? He said, well, what could I do? What could I do? What could I do? And he's been in there so long, he, now he's, he's limp. He can't do nothing. What could he do? When the, they pull the foundation out, what can you do? It'll destroy the evangelism in the church and it'll destroy the individual. Where we bought these pews, the orange ones there, over in that church in, in Bend, that man there had been in the um, four-square church when it was Pentecostal. And if you know anything about the four-square church today, you'd never know it was Pentecostal. But it used to be a... I running Pentecostal. I've been in there when Amy McPherson preached when they had, you just can't believe what kind of a church there had. Their prayer room had four and five hundred people in it just ringing the rafters. People getting the Holy Ghost all over the place. And uh, I asked that man about that. What? Well, come you stay here when you, how can you do that? Well, you know, what can we do? This, it's just changed and now he's satisfied. He's got a job on the board and he's satisfied and far away from uh, there's no chance of returning to the prayer room foundation. It's not there. And now what we really need to do is ourselves is turn to the word of God and uh, call on God like never before. There's one thing that reason, some people say, well, why don't you have a lot of growth or why doesn't the church grow? Well, the Lord adds to the church, but Satan doesn't like a stand on holiness. And if there's anything he can possibly do to fight the church he's going to do it he is going to do his best he knows the holy people are going to have power with the holy god and everything in the world that can happen to discourage somebody from coming to a church that's holiness minded will happen it happens it's always happened that way but i tell you the strength of the church is in their holiness before god their prayer and their holiness 
and anything else is not going to have the power that's needed to build a real church. And the Bible admonishes us then again, Stand ye in the ways, and see and ask for the old path, where is the good way, and walk therein, and remove not the ancient landmarks. And liberalism in the guise of love says, Tear down the walls. we got two high walls, and let them come in. But the only cities that you read of in the Bible without a wall are heathen cities. When the new Jerusalem comes down, it's going to have a wall. The church in the wilderness is the church of that harlot woman, and it has no, and you all come, anybody can come in. But in the church of the living God, you have to come through a narrow gate. Straight is the way, narrow is the gate, and few there be that find it. So you can't go on that um, basis about that. But the foundation's destroyed. What are the righteous going to do? And it's going to be a revival now or perish. Our nation's come to such a place that evil is being magnified on every hand. If you saw today's paper, there's a bunch of yuppies there enacting the Lord's Supper. Mockery of the Lord's Supper. Today's paper. They're drinking bottles of, of champagne and so forth, men and girls. And why are they using that? Because they're tearing, anything can tear down Christianity is taking place. And there's forces of sin are on every hand. And uh, if the righteous do not take a stand and do not pray, there will come a place, and I've taught it in this church before, where when there's a grievous sin that there cannot be anything done. When the land sinneth grievously, then will I stretch out my hand upon it. I'll break the staff of the bread thereof and will send famine upon it. And will cut off man and beast from it. Though Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it. As I live, saith the Lord, they shall deliver neither son nor daughter. But, shall, but they shall but deliver their own souls by their righteousness. When the land gets filthy enough, a mother and father will not even be able to deliver their son or daughter. Lot was proof of that. And some of you that are growing up, if the Lord tarries, you're going to have families. And what then? It's been bad enough for you coming to where you are. What then if there's not a change? We need a change. It's high time for the church of God to awake and to fall down on our knees and pray and call on God and to get a right viewpoint of the standards and the work of God and what God's trying to do. He wants to bless. He wants to bless. He wants us to give of our tithes, of our offerings, of our life. Of, our, of everything that we've got to give it unto him, and he will bless. I can say with all my heart that God has blessed me. He's been so good to me, I can't believe. I don't know why I lived in sin as long as I did, but God has blessed me every step of the way since I've been saved. I can look back on times when I seemed like a, that uh, I was overwhelmed with the amount of work and stuff seemed like it came down on me, but in every bit of it, I've been blessed. Seemed like I was always underpaid, but I've been blessed. Seemed like many things didn't go right, but I've been blessed. I've had it when I thought somebody was going to pat me on the back and they threw me out instead, but I've been blessed. I've been blessed. I've been blessed. And if, if we receive no honor here, we receive no money here, I'll tell you one thing, when you go to bed, when you rise up, when you walk down the street, you'll be blessed if you live for God. You will be blessed. God will bless you. If you'll do what's right. I don't care what anybody else says. If you'll take that stand, you'll be blessed. If you don't, you will. There'll come a time when God will say that's enough. And when he cut off Israel, he said that's enough. 
And it was enough. And there's coming a place I can see it myself where there's a lot of pseudo. That's not the word, but there's a lot of pseudo. <laughs> there's a lot of fake going on in what we call the manifestation of the move of God. There's many things happening that really don't have a depth to them at all. I've been at some conventions where I've seen things go on where there was absolutely no reason for it at all. If you're a child of God and you're, you know you're living right, you ought to be able to feel the Holy Ghost and tell whether it's the Holy Ghost or not. When you sit in a meeting and other men sitting around and people and they're just sitting there and there's all kinds of things happening and uh, you don't feel anything, there's liable to be something wrong. I said in big meetings like that when they skipped the maloo and ran the aisles and jumped over the seats and everything and it was all in the flesh. Excitement. Very exciting. But no touch of God. We need genuine Holy Ghost move. And if we'll do things that we're asked to do, or we read in the Bible ourselves, if we'll do those unto God, God will only bless us. He'll bless those around us. He'll bless the church. I'll tell you something he'll do. He'll bless the job where you are. Change people that are there. and Change things for you. He is a one that blesses. Let's stand together tonight. Praise God. Hallelujah. We are a favored people. Every one of us that's here tonight. We ought to thank God for his goodness to us. God, we thank you, Lord, to be favored, to be in the United Pentecostal Church. My God, to belong to you. My God, we are a favored people. God, we're in divine favor with you. God, we thank you for what you've done for us. Oh, God, you're a wonderful Savior. God, you've taken us through some hard times and good times. But God, you're good to us. God, don't let this nation go down. Don't let this church, God, fall away. God, give us revival. My God, in Jesus' name we pray. Move, God, by your hand of mercy. God, move by your hand of power. Touch us, oh God, by the power of the Holy Ghost. Oh God, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. God, our Redeemer, Savior, and Friend. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh God, give us a revival. God, give us a revival of old-time power in the city of Portland. God, in the state of Oregon. My God, in Jesus' name. Help us, my God, in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. My God, my God, my God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. My God, my God, my God. My God, my God, my God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. My God, my God, my God. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. Praise God, hallelujah. Praise God. Everybody that can, be sure to make provisions to be here on that weekend, July 26, 27, 28th. Brother um, Terry that's coming here is one of the men that's driven a lot of landmarks down. The Western District is part of what it is because of this man's strong stand. I don't know what he'll say to you. You may have a hard time swallowing. Uh, but I tell you, you ought to hear him. He really, it's a real privilege. I'd like to have us pray for somebody tonight. That's Brother Riddlesberger. Uh, he had a, I don't know 
what the diagnosis is, but he had to have an operation on his lip or something on his lip. And he's been a real blessed man of God. He is a, he's been here and preached for us. And when I say he's a wonderful man, he's a righteous man of God. He has set landmarks in that district. He's been on the board. He stood alone. He's just been a man that's been a real man of God. And I wouldn't want anything to happen to him. Let's pray. He's in his 70s, but God can touch him whatever he needs. God, we pray for Brother Riddlesberger, God, today. My God, in Jesus' name. God, he's such a wonderful man. God, he's been a man that set landmarks for us. My God, he stood when nobody stood with him. My God, in Jesus' name, help that man. My God, touch him. Lord, in Jesus' name we pray. Oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God. Lord, in the name of Jesus, God, our Redeemer, our Savior, our friend, touch him, move for him, deliver him, God, in Jesus' name. My Lord, our Redeemer, our Savior and friend. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Praise God, hallelujah, thank God, hallelujah. Praise God, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Do we have any other prayer requests here tonight? Oh, yes, Brian. Uh, he's been limping, as you know. He has a disease in his hip that's causing his hip socket to be the way it is. And um, it, uh, we need to pray for him. He's been limping around, and uh, the doctor said it could cure itself. But we know a God in time, but we know a God that can come down and touch him. He's just a little tiny boy. He don't know about all this jumping and stuff. He's got to stop jumping and everything. Let's pray for him. Lord God, we pray for Brian. God, you should touch him. God, help him to quit jumping and hopping. My God, in Jesus' name. Lord, touch this hip. God, you're the divine healer. My God, in Jesus' name. Lord God, you're the physician. You're the way maker. You're the Lord of glory. You're the Lord of hosts. You're the mighty God. You're the everlasting Father. You're the Prince of Peace. My God, you're the delivering Savior. Hallelujah. 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 My God, my God, my God. Glory, 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 glory. Thank you, Lord. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank God. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. All right.